Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I got home last night and I had a package on my doorstep and it was from Green Chef, who are my sponsors for this series. I was absolutely blown away with what was inside. Not only did they have the step-by-step recipe cards in there, but they had all the ingredients and as fresh as you can get them. Last night, I cooked the duck in balsamic glaze, which I'd never tried before. These pre-portioned ingredients allowed me to try this new flavor completely risk-free And I was able to eat the exact right amount of these ingredients. Not only that, but they had tender stem broccoli. How many other food boxes send tender stem broccoli? It was unbelievably delicious, and I can't recommend it enough. Their high-quality, fresh seasonal ingredients just blew me away. And it's allowed me to eat consistently and have a routine whilst eating healthily. So get 40% off your first box and 20% off your next three boxes with the code GREENSTRONG. That's GREENSTRONG for 40% off your first box and 20% off your next three boxes. Hello and welcome to Headstrong. My name is Louis Strong and I host this podcast. Headstrong is a podcast where I sit down with a number of individuals in the public eye to talk to them about their life and their careers. But notably, I want to talk to them about their vulnerabilities so I can understand and learn what the word headstrong means to them. And to me, it means to believe in yourself, to talk about your vulnerabilities and reinforce your self-worth. Now, this is the final episode of season seven, episode 12, and I'm joined by a a good friend of mine, Kit Connor, who I did Sorter House Rules with a few years ago. Kit is currently the lead role in the beautifully sensitive production, 
called Heartstopper on Netflix. If you haven't seen it yet, I can thoroughly, thoroughly recommend it. I think it's absolutely wonderful. Kit's take on the character Nick is beautifully poetic and has a real depth to the character as well. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. And if you do, please do go leave a five-star rating, leave a review, and please do subscribe and check us out on Instagram. Kit, thank you so much for joining me on Headstrong. How are we doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Very excited. Very, very well. Just before we started rolling on here, we were just discussing that this has been some years in the making, but not your first time on a Headstrong platform, shall we we remember? No, no. I think back at the beginning of lockdown, we did a little um, Instagram live. I remember now. Wow. What what did we talk about? Crikey, I can't even remember. I think we were talking about lockdown, weren't we? We were talking about lockdown. We were talking about school and things like that because I was still very much that was when I was sort of at the time of my GCSE so it was yeah. whether I was going to do them I remember it was this a lot of a very stressful time I oh yeah I remember that god how times have changed significantly exactly. right did you know then anything about this production that's the first thing back then I knew about the graphic novels at the time but I yeah. did not know anything about the production I knew nothing I had no clue that suddenly my life would be would be turned around. God, I mean, that's one way of putting it. I mean, how does it feel to have, you know, if I say the words to you right now, arguably the biggest show in the country, if not the world, and you're the leading man? That's pretty nuts, eh? Well, I mean, it's... We, I, I, there's a very nice nice way to put it. I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely done um, very well so far, and we're super, super happy. And um, So you should you know, be. I think, yeah, thank you. I mean, Joe and I, um, Joe Locke and I, sort of, we we put in a lot of time um, into you know this show and 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 sort of creating these characters. So for it to all pay off and people to actually like it, and you know, there've been some incredible reactions. So to have that has been has been wonderful. I mean, well, let's talk about the show first, and we'll come on to a loads loads of other bits and bobs. I imagine um, together. Let's talk about kind of why do you think this this kind of series resonates with such a huge audience because it's not just it's not just reaching out to gay people or bisexual people it's able to touch everybody yeah i mean i think it's it's a type of queer representation that hasn't really been done before in a lot of cases because i think a lot of especially queer teen shows are very very um almost overwhelmingly negative in a lot of senses you know you've got some amazing shows like you know, Euphoria and, mm. um, you know, even things like Sex Education, um, which is, is you know, a, an incredible show and also, you know, not not that negative, but a lot of queer representation in the mainstream media is very gritty and dark. So I think it's really important, especially for queer people, to just see queer representation and see queer people being happy uh, and, and queer people sort of just, just you know, living their life and falling in love and 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 sort of navigating that that teenage sort of slightly awkward, uncomfortable you know, period of time. So yeah, how would you for anyone that's not listening? We're obviously talking about uh, sorry, who is listening? We're talking about Heartstopper and Netflix. How would you sell it to them in an elevator? You've got thirty seconds. All right, so Heartstopper is essentially about uh, two boys at an all-boys school. One is an openly gay, um, sort of slightly nerdy boy, and then one is a stereotypical 
seemingly straight rugby sort of popular jock kind of character and i play that jock somehow um <laughs> and essentially essentially um they sort of befriend one another and then they slowly grow closer and and the my character nick sort of starts to question his sexuality and and yeah it's it's basically an exploration of um of sort of teenage years and teenage life as a uh queer student in an all-boys school and also there are sort of side characters as well uh, in an all-girls school um yeah i mean there's really something for everyone in the in the lgbtqia plus community so yeah, yeah I'm, it, the whole thing is beautifully poetic i mean it's so wonderfully shot the soundtrack is unbelievable and i love yeah. the kind of the almost supernatural magical touches of the graphics yeah i think that's really yeah it just adds a little bit of magic to it that is so mesmerizing i've got to say did you know anything about that when, when you're shooting yeah i mean that was always really part of the plan because obviously it's it's an, an adaptation of alice oseman's amazing graphic novel series and um the art in these graphic novels is so prominent to the story so you know going into that even just reading the script um you can see that we had things like heartstopper moments um which was basically when the animations would come into play and in this script there were illustrations there were drawings wow. you know, around the text and i had never seen that before no i thought that was something that's really interesting and it actually drew me it like drew me in when I was when I was reading the script for the first time and thinking, I mean, even just looking at the script, this is something really cool and, and fresh and new. And I thought that, you know, that was always kind of part of the plan. It's it's a difficult thing to sort of add these sort of 2D illustrations to a you know a a, a real life show. Um, but I think it's done very subtly and 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 very, you know beautifully in my opinion um just sort of bringing that those illustrations to life it's very difficult to get that right because as you say it could go one it could go horribly wrong yeah unfortunately yeah. fortunately of course it does not uh mm. because the show i just checked on imdb it's a solid nine out of ten i mean mate that's yeah that, you don't get those sort of numbers anyway yeah i mean for a while I, I don't know if it still is for a while we were on rotten tomatoes we were uh 100 percent Wow. certified fresh which was honestly mental you know it's crazy um, so i mean that was and that was you know for the, at least the first week of, of launch i think I, I don't know if it still is but that was a real sort of thing for us when we were just going like okay maybe this the, it, it was always kind of our little show you know especially when we were making it it didn't feel like a big netflix production it all felt very you know intimate and and private and and personal so you know for it to sort of come out and and almost immediately blow up and for so many people to to sort of feel so strongly about it was was you know amazing but at the same time it was just very you know overwhelming because mm. it was you know like i said it was just our little show you know we we were just making it. We, we almost forgot when the first interviews came, uh, when the first sort of reviews, sorry, came out. We almost sort of forgot that that would happen. You know, we just thought people are just going to watch it. We'll see if they like it. Who knows? But yeah. Uh, all the press, the tour, the like publicity yeah. and everything. It's, it's crazy, isn't it? Because you just think that you're just going to release this thing and it's going to be watched, you know, you know, everyone will enjoy it. And that's kind of that. 
But yeah. lo and behold, here you are with 2.2 million people following you on social media. It's and mental, yeah. I just looked as well. It's still 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. So there oh, you go. That's good. That's good. Good sign. Let's talk about your character. Because, as you said in your kind of elevator pitch, he is the cool jock guy, the rugby dude. And, but I don't think he's the stereotypical cool guy from what I, agree, I remember yeah. at school. I think you add a layer of sensitivity to him. You know, it's almost like you don't, he doesn't need to be heard to be seen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, he can command a room and have this charisma without having to be the loud guy. Which I think yeah. is a really nice layer. To steal the words from Shrek, I feel like he's got a lot of layers. Yes, like an onion, absolutely. I think that um, that's that's a very good take on it, actually, because I sort of say that he's he's he, he gets this popularity and his friends very like effortlessly. You know, he's he's very good at rugby. He's likable. He's easy to talk to, and therefore he kind of attracts these you know more popular um, friends. And I think that I actually, I think I've said this before, but I sort of um took some inspiration from i don't know if you've seen normal people yeah um, yeah yeah but watching connell's character mm. having that sort of effortless popularity and he's not your classic kind of jock he's not your classic sort of cool guy um because he does have that that sensitivity and that sort of um that realness about him um and I think that that's kind of what I saw in Nick as well when I was reading the script. And that's kind of what I wanted to put into the character. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that he is, while he is definitely in some ways the stereotypical sort of rugby boy and the fact that, you know, everyone kind of assumes that he's straight, he is very yeah. much, I, I, that's definitely what I was trying to go for is that sort of sense of sensitivity and, and um, yeah, kind of, I, I do honestly think that although Nick is very sort of confident, he is also slightly introverted in a way. Definitely. You know? Yeah, I, I yeah. definitely agree with that. And I think as well, uh, obviously I know that it's the novel first, but the, that kind of story wouldn't work as well, in my opinion, if it is this outgoing, yeah. like stereotype of a brute of a player. And then he, mm. you know, because I think you'd be like, well, that's a bit predictable. Whereas actually yeah. seeing you go through all this confusion, conflicting ideas, and then coming mm. to the realisation, I think it's so much more powerful because you're, you're so much more of a, a layered human. Yeah, absolutely. Much more complex character, yeah. Definitely. Do you remember the first scene uh, for your audition? Which one was it? I think, well, originally, funnily enough, originally I did a self-tape and I originally auditioned for the role of Charlie. So um, I think a lot of the Hearts of the Fans just uh, find that very, very, very confusing because I um, look nothing like Charlie. Nothing about me screams Charlie. Um, and they seem to think that everything about me screams Nick. So, so um, yeah, I auditioned. There's this beautiful scene, um, I think, in episode four, where Nick has just run to Charlie's house in the rain and uh, they, they go into Charlie's bedroom and then Charlie, uh, before Nick can even speak, sort of essentially tells him how much he regrets uh, kissing him because they, they kiss for the first time and essentially saying, like, he doesn't want to ruin their friendship, essentially because he thinks that Nick has, um, that, that Nick regrets the kiss as well. Uh, so that was the scene I actually used to audition with and... Um, yeah, I just thought it was a really beautifully written scene and very just stripped back and genuine. 
Um, and I think that's when Charlie is at his most sort of vulnerable in front of Nick. Um, so I thought that was beautiful. But then I think they quite quickly realised that I was much better for Nick. So <laughs> I think probably one of the first things that I auditioned for with Nick was uh, there's a scene with a character called Imogen on a bench yep. in the park where he's sort of um, essentially talking about how... It's the, it's the one in the trailer, feel. isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he's saying he doesn't quite feel like he's really being true to himself and that he feels like he has to kind of change himself to fit in with others. So I think that's, again, I think that's a really um, relatable scene for a lot of people. And I think it's a beautiful scene. Um, And yeah, I mean, doing that as my first audition for Nick and then actually filming it was quite a full circle moment. Yeah. I love that part of the narrative actually, where it's, I mean, this is a spoiler alert for anyone who's Mm. listening. When, you know, you felt obliged to kind of say yes to go on this date because you're in front of your mates. You've got that peer pressure over there. And then she's got, you know, oh, her dog's died. Mm. And you're like, because that's so relatable, not even just for anyone. I mean, that's relatable for anybody in that kind of world, which is crazy. Uh, And it's just so wonderfully done, man. I I can't say how how happy I am that you got this and you nailed it so well. Thank you so much. So top dog. What I want to ask you now Mm -hmm. is... How how did you find out about the role? Was it a phone call? So, um, as I said, I, I didn't know about the graphic novel. Oh, no, I mean, I mean, when you got given the role. Oh, when I got given the role? Yeah. Oh, that's a whole different thing. Yeah. yeah so I basically, um, it was a phone call. So I was at dinner with them. Um, I was having dinner downstairs with my parents. Um, and, yeah, we were just kind of, it was a pretty normal dinner but then I I was kind of expecting a call we were all expecting a call from my agent to see whether you know whether it was good news or bad news I got the call I went upstairs because you know if it was bad news I didn't really want to sort of get that news in front of my parents um I got the news from my agent you know pretty immediately went out and said it you know you got this role obviously I was just over the moon but then I thought I could try and do something cool here so I went downstairs um (laughs) and just sort of didn't say anything and just kept on eating. And my parents obviously realized that, that that was an important phone call. So they were probably thinking, Oh my God, like maybe he's just, maybe he didn't get it. Maybe. And then they were like, is everything okay? And I was just like, Oh um, yeah, I'm just going to be in the Netflix shows. Yeah. Simple. And then just kept on. I mean, I th- like, I would say that I, that's what I, I thought went down. I feel like I probably didn't play it that cool, but um, yeah, that's what I tried to do. That's kind of, that's the joke that I tried to play. Oh, that is, that's classic. I love it. I can only imagine that that was probably not how it went down. Kit. It was very difficult. So I don't think I succeeded quite well. <laughs> that's so, so exciting. Gosh, and how long ago was that? The shoot? The or shoot, told, so, sorry. And yeah, I mean, we shoot. probably, we probably got told in um, February of 2021, I'd say. Uh, I guess so. Because then we started rehearsals in March and then started shooting in April, I believe. Um, so yeah, we had about two weeks of rehearsals, but I think, I think we may have found out in February. How important were those two weeks of rehearsals just to kind of build that kind of chemistry and bond? I think that there were three main elements, um, of that rehearsal period that were, uh, extremely important for us is the first thing that you mentioned that, that, it was about building that chemistry between, um, you know, between all the cast members, especially between Joe and I, just to, 
you know, I think the heart of the show is the relationship between Nick and Charlie and the relationships between, you know, all the characters, really. So if that didn't quite feel real, then the show wouldn't have worked. Yeah. So I think that that was, that was a big thing for us to just get to know each other, get a bit more comfortable with each other and sort of get used to, to acting with one another. I think that was a big thing. Um, I'd say the second thing is getting to know our characters. You know, um, we did a lot of actually very classic sort of theatre techniques, like some of Stanislavski and Stanislavski techniques in some ways. Lovely. We were doing like, you know, in some ways, but, you know, for example, we did like, you know, hot seating and things like that, which I'd never done for a, um, a sort of TV and film role before. Um, but it was really interesting because we weren't just hot seating. We also had Alice, the writer, who obviously knew the characters better than anyone. So if there was something that, that you know, that I didn't know about, about my character, I could just ask Alice and then you got a pretty, you know, concrete answer. But then even there were certain things that Alice hadn't thought about, about certain characters. So it was really cool to almost then and uh, there and then sort of come up with, something new and come up with a different element of of the character's background and that was really exciting but um also i think there was one really important element which was um you know, we had a couple sort of sessions with uh, stonewall um who were really really helpful in essentially just sort of training everyone who was going to step on set to um essentially create a really safe like sort of comfortable space for everyone on set you know in terms of um you know pronouns and just general sort of like the importance of queer representation i think that was something that um you know we focused on a lot in those two weeks and and that was really important and it, and it, it definitely paid off throughout the entire shoot that's that's really cool actually that's really that's mm. really a nice touch so i imagine that this, this production's gone quite quick hasn't it from shooting to release well, that's the thing, because it, it did. It was about a four-month, really. It was, at, it was about a four-month shoot. It was quite quite a short shoot, to be honest. Um, yeah. I mean, it felt like forever, to be honest, because <laughs> after... I'm no, not even the shoot. The shoot went back went by quite quickly, but it felt... After we wrapped, it felt like forever until sort of anything was happening with the show. But, you know, the nature of it being Netflix is that even when the show is completely done, you've got a dub, you know, for, for loads of different languages and things like that. Um, you know, which is really cool. Uh, but it, it, you know, I think everyone in the cast was just, was just so keen, so eager for it to come out finally. Um, when, you know, all the fans as well, because they're obviously sort of translated, a lot of them translated from the graphic novels to the show. So they just, anytime, you know, Joe and I were announced or the rest of the cast were announced or even just slight behind the scenes pictures, they were just so excited and we just eat everything up so you were this is a four-month shoot and obviously you're basically in every day let's go with mm, mm. and you were still directly involved in your education now yeah. this is always something that i like to talk about because i talked about it with asa mm -hmm. before in quite a lot of depth and i always think that just education on, on a set is a bizarre concept and one that not many people will understand but it's something that you've done all your life having acted for you know 10 years yeah but just describe it for for this production. Well, actually, I mean, this production is a weird one. So, I like like you say. So, I've sort of grown up um, doing things like tutoring on set. Um, you know, when we did 
I, actually, I think when we did Slaughterhouse Rules, I didn't have a tutor because it was a, during a summer holiday, I think. Hey, August. Yeah. The joys oh, of shooting thank, in August. Thank God. But, um, <laughs> but I have sort of grown up, you know, um, you'll be doing a really intense scene and then uh, all the adults can then go and sort of have a cup of tea and then you have to go and do some maths or something like that. It's, it's very, very draining and very tiring. Um, and it, yeah, I mean, it wasn't, I, I didn't enjoy it all that much to be honest, but that's the nature of being a child actor. Um, but Heartstop was actually one of the first, I think it's the first TV and film job that I did after I turned or after I finished my GCSE. So therefore I didn't need a tutor. So it was a very interesting thing because suddenly I was also able to work 12 hours a day. I was able to work adult For the hours. first time, yeah. Yeah, it was the first time. So I was, I mean, I was really excited about that. I, I was, I always felt so, um, I always got so frustrated when I was filming things like Slaughterhouse because, you know, I could work nine and a half hours um, and everyone else could work 12. So I, rem- I remember being dragged off set, you know, when there was still a couple of hours left in the day and everyone else, and I just especially something with Slaughterhouse Rules, you know, we all had so much fun. Mm. But um, I was really excited with Heartstopper to be able to do that. Um, but it did mean that that sort of, because I was in every day and I was working 12 hours a day, I, you know, left the house at maybe seven and then got home at probably, you know, eight or nine. Um, and it was generally a very sort of busy day. So I didn't honestly have much time to to work at all, especially by the end of the shoot. Joe and I were just exhausted, mm-hmm. um, in a, you know not in a bad way, but we it just it was a lot of work, so we were tired, you know. So I I did then go back to school after four months and just sort of think like, okay, let's let's try and catch up now. But yeah, I mean, tutoring on set is a is a very difficult thing. Um, as the, I mean, I think different people enjoy it. it. It really depends on your sort of outlook. But yeah, for Heartstopper, it was really just, just, just Heartstopper, and then I sort of reap the consequences afterwards. Basically, how's it all going? It's going, it's going all right. To be fair, to, to be fair, I think after missing four months, I think I'm doing okay. Considering, I think my my school were a little bit worried at first. Um, but then I think they've sort of they've sort of taken it in their stride now, and we're all trying to get there. And yeah, I've got my A levels in a few weeks. Seriously, so, soon. Yeah, so it's dare, dare it's I ask? Don't feel free not to say. What are you? What are you taking? I'm doing English history and drama, mate. So you're not even like you're not even dossing. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's, it's but a English lot. English A level was difficult. Honestly, English A level is is the bane of my life right now. It is so, it's yeah, it's difficult. It is, um, and history is not 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 exactly easy either. Drama is mm. surprisingly a lot harder than I was expecting as well. Mm. But you know what? Like it's it's I don't know. At least they're all sort of subjects that I am that I am in some way interested in. I find A level does have a slight thing of slightly ruining subjects possibly well i remember doing drama a level and yeah. um was your last have you had to do a devised piece yeah I did. Yeah. yeah and then did you have to do a scripted one as well yeah we've done loads we've yeah. done like a devised a scripted i think maybe like two or three more scripted ones yeah. over the year yeah it, oh, i know because the, the, the essays of the drama ones are just 
Oh, they're so long and so. And, and yeah, no, but also grueling. it's just like it's so specific to the mark scheme, and it's just like it's not. I'm never going to need to learn this mark scheme for anything else except this yeah. hour of my life. Especially as an actor, it seems slightly against the grain because mm. you know if I'm work, walking onto a stage, I'm not thinking, okay, I'm going to walk on with. And even one of my drama teachers actually admitted this to me a couple of years ago. But he was like, you know, obviously when you're walking on stage, you're not going to be going, oh, okay, I'm going to walk with a, a strong posture and a wide gait and this. And it's like, you just sort of do it naturally, um, uh, certainly for a lot of actors. Um, mm. So I think it is slightly strange to then kind of almost make up details that you wouldn't actually do in real life, but you sort of, you'll get the marks. But yeah, I think that's just the sort of nature of the subject. You found yourself in some remarkable credits today. I mean, we talk about Rocket Man. You've got this mm. now, which is just absolutely phenomenal. Uh, TV shows, films. How often do you have those pinch yourself moments? I mean, was there a moment in this production where you were like, whoa, like this is a Netflix show or this is Olivia Coleman? I don't know what it was for you. What's your pinch yourself I mean, moment? I think Olivia Coleman definitely, definitely was one thing. I think... Um, we spent two days shooting with Olivia um, just because she's Olivia Coleman, you know, she's, she's very crazy. much in, in demand. Um, but we, we were so lucky to have her for those two days. And even for two days, she already just sort of, you know, she was so amazing and was just lovely to everyone. Uh, but I think that was like a massive pinch in the moment just because, especially going from spending the rest of the shoot with a cast who was so fresh and so new, which was wonderful you know, to have a cast full of young people who were new to the industry and everything was fresh and cool and exciting. Um, I loved that. But then at the same time to also go and get that sort of the other side of the table to go to Olivia Coleman, who has been in this industry for, you know, for, I mean, she's just achieved so much. That's yeah. the thing. She's I mean, just incredible. Exactly. And I think that's an, uh, an honour that not every actor sort of gets. And, you know, to be able to work with an Oscar. Every time, you know, I, I was able to do a film with Colin Firth uh, several years ago, and that was amazing as well. But to be able to have a scene, especially some of the scenes that I had with Olivia Coleman were, you know, quite challenging and quite um, crucial to the show. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I think it was just an absolute honour as an actor to be able to do that that whole cast is so strong as well it was so good yeah i think i think it's such a it's such a great young core um and yeah there's so much talent there i think so we talk about the the show now being out mm. and it's as you say the, the graphic novels have a fan base and the show's become hugely popular mm. and now you've been catapulted into what can only be described as a spotlight you know, what do you, what do you think of this, uh, you know, happening to you? You like, it's pretty, it's crazy, right? It's absolutely mental. I mean, I, I honestly, cause like I said, it always felt like our little show, the fact that it's now been seen by so many people and, and had this kind of effect on so many people is wonderful. I mean, I think that it, it is definitely a little bit scary, you know, in certain ways, um, because I think you never quite feel prepared for it and you never feel ready. Um, but at the same time, it's amazing. You know, um, there was a Heartstopper fan who uh, tweeted out that um, they essentially used uh, my coming out scene uh, by showing it to their parents and used it to come out to their parents. Mm. Um, and I think, like, I was just like, 
that is incredible to be yeah. able to as a as an 18 year old to be able to like be given the opportunity to have that effect on someone's life and give them the confidence and, and kind of empower them to do that um even just a little bit is is incredible um so i think that is honestly one of the most beautiful sort of sides of the job i mean i, I think that like you know the whole social media aspect like suddenly gaining um a couple million in in just over a week is is utterly insane yeah. and slightly overwhelming because it's like mm. you know when i got when i got just before i got announced as nick and uh, as playing nick i think i was at a, just under 10k and then literally the day before Heartstopper came out i was at about 200k and then suddenly it just blew up um so yeah it's crazy but i'm i'm so grateful and you know anytime that i meet a Heartstopper fan it's it's unbelievable um i still just don't know why they're because uh, you know it's still just I, the way I see it is, I, I'm very like a quite a normal guy, just from Croydon. Just, so it's just a kid. bit odd. I'm just kit, so it, it, it's a bit strange that these, you know, these these wonderful people are so get so excited to to you know meet me or to to speak to me or anything like that. I think that's a really um, humbling experience. Yeah, I mean, something that I do want to just talk about. Because obviously being a mental health podcast, somewhat, I'm interested to, to hear what you think because social media can have, you know, a serious effect on anybody and mm. having kind of over 2 million people like actively following you now. Yeah. Do you, you, you said you were overwhelmed by that, but do you feel like anxious at all that, you know, you might slip up here and there because it's a lot of power and responsibility, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think that... that- I mean, I know you've got an amazing team, Georgia. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. My my team is absolutely wonderful and, and would never let me slip up. But yeah, I'm, at the same time, it's very, it's a scary thing. And I think that social media is definitely a double-edged sword. It's it's so wonderful in certain ways. Like I mentioned, you know, you get these wonderful moments where fans can reach out to you and 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 tell you about, you know, amazing effects of the show. And, you know, I think that it can be a great, source for change and things like that but at the same time you know social media can be an extremely to- uh, toxic place and an extremely sort of yes slightly scary place and and it can build a lot of you know anxiety and then and then also sort of you know negative slightly negative mindsets about you know body image and um and identity and things like that and i think that that's i think that that's obviously like can be a, a catastrophic effect of, of social media. I, I honestly have have spoken to many, you know, especially other people in the Arsenal cast. I've I've spoken to them about the possibility of maybe when sort of um, in a few weeks' time, when um, the sort of you know press side of Heartstopper has slightly died down and things like that, um, I might just sort of take a break from social media for a little while. And I, I joked about maybe getting like a flip phone or something just sort of <laughs> just just having that living that sort of 2000s dream um <laughs> yeah i think that that would be honestly something that i would consider just because i think that it can also be important to just live in the real world because although it's amazing to have these um you know wonderful people saying such wonderful things about uh, me and the show and and the other cast members um I think it is also important that, that, you know, I'm living sort of the same life 
I'm living the same life as I always used to. I'm living the same life as, as my friends. And I think that that's, that's important. Um, and I, I think that if I'm constantly looking down at my phone, sort of seeing what, what the internet has to say, then I'm not really living in the real world. And I think that that can, that can have, you know, many effects on, um, sort of mental health and things like that. So, yeah. I think as well with the show specifically, and I know mm. that the, the, the graphic novels later on do do this. There's a great opportunity to touch on things like mental health in a show like this. Because yeah. I know that it will be done so delicately and so, you know, carefully. And that will yeah. also really help inspire, you know, a whole other group of people. Mm. And I think that's really important. And it's weird as well that it's set in a school because I think the, the way that the characters are portrayed are so lovely, most of them. Mm. And you know, you look at schools now and I just think, I don't think we're doing enough in schools to yeah. help talk about certainly what you're talking about in that, but also mental health. Like, I don't think PSHE is a good enough thing to be pushing stuff like I agree. That. I agree. And I think that, you know, in, even in season one, we hint at the, um, the, uh, the character Charlie's sort of developing uh, eating disorder, uh, which is, is very prominent in, in the later graphic novels and if we were to get season two, then that's, you know, what we'd possibly um, talk about. But I think also the beauty of Heartstopper is that we approach these kind of issues with a very optimistic lens, um, you know, in a very, very much a sense that even though these are really awful issues and very serious, um, we try to sort of give people who are struggling with these kind of issues um, a sense of hope and a sense that, you know, even if, because it's unreal, uh, unrealistic to also suggest that, you know, mental health can just be cured. Um, it's, I think it's healthy to sort of just make people, uh, give people hope that, you know, it will get better and that, that sometimes, you know, um, even when you're feeling just absolutely awful, which, you know, a lot of the characters go through, especially in the later graphic novels, it does, it does get better. Um, I think that's that's something that's really important. But hopefully, if we were to you know go into later seasons, we could explore that more. I mean, it's a perfect poster behind your head. I feel like you've chosen this on purpose, Maestro. Oh yeah, it's gonna be okay. I didn't, but you know what? I'm gonna go with it. Actually, it's rocking. It's working. Um, what else did I want to talk about? Yeah, I mean, we you kind of touched on it already. Kind of this this double life, it's kind of crazy where you're kind of doing these film sets and then mm. you're acting with the likes of Olivia Coleman, Nick Frost, Louis Strong, stuff like that. Uh, <laughs> no, but then- That was smooth, that was very smooth. And how, how do you switch off? How do you give yourself time and preserve your own well-being? Because it's so important to, you know, finish a day like that and it can be overwhelming and being on a film set, they're such big beasts. But mm. then you actually need to just, chill out and rest and look after your well-being what do you do i mean that's the thing i think that um one thing that helps is um i i never went to drama school uh i i've gone to a sort of a normal normal secondary school and normal primary school um i have a lot of friends who have absolutely nothing to do with acting and do not care about it at all um which i think is really important uh, for me, because it gives me that balance. Because um, although I make some wonderful friends in the industry, and you know, especially you know, you know, films like Slaughterhouse and 
and and Rocket Man and and Heartstopper. Obviously, you know, I've made some some wonderful friends um, who I do genuinely consider as as very close friends. Um, but it is also important to be around people who have completely different interests, and I think that that does it does encourage me to sort of switch off the actor mindset and just be a teenager, you know. Um, so it's things like, you know, just sitting down and watching a film, watching a TV show. And even though that is technically my job, you know, as an actor, it's just sort of forgetting the, the fact that I've, you know, got a job and that I've got all these things and that I've got an Instagram following. Um, yeah, I mean, I honestly think one of the main things that got me through, like, for example, lockdown is, is going for walks. I find walks really therapeutic. You got a dog? Mental health. I do, but even then, I mean, even sometimes without the dog, it's 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 good either way. To be honest, I just love being outside and and love just sort of I, you know there were points in lockdown where I would go out and then six hours later I'd come back um, and I was just walking around honestly. Um, and then honestly, when I got heart stopper, I had to gain some weight, so then that was suddenly out the window. But I did um, think those shirts were looking a bit tight. They were a little. I mean, on, uh, <laughs> listen, they were tight to be fair. But but at the same time, I did have. No, I know. I'm bit. teasing you. That's great They're, though. You're you're not wrong though. They are. They were very tight. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. And I think that um, the the walks were were very helpful. And I I found that now as I sort of can't go on those walks anymore, I found exercise and things like that, like going to the gym or going and doing something. Um, also quite therapeutic and just good for my mental health in general. So I find that's a really good way to switch off. You know, if I go to the gym, I'll go for two hours and just just headphones in, listen to music and, and just, you know, switch off, which I think is really, you know, like you say, it's really important. So again, I want to talk to you about life of being an actor because coming with the, the kind of the job title itself, you still have to, you know, apply for jobs, therefore do tapes. And with that comes a lot of rejection, or can do. I imagine your phone is going berserk at the mm. moment, or your agent's phone. But, you know, mm. there's still times where, you know, we get really excited for a role, you get really invested, and it's only the audition, and you think, yeah, I really want this, and it doesn't go our way. Yeah. How do you tackle that rejection? I think that, I think the rejection is something that, as an actor, you have to learn to deal with. Um, and it, it helped me as a child actor, I think it was, it was good for me because I learned quite early on how to deal with it and how to deal with, uh, with, with rejection and, and knowing that a lot of the time it's not to do with you, you know? Um, so I remember there was a film that I was really, really, you know, really keen to do. And I got down to the last two and I was just, you know, I was right there. I felt like I could really just grab it. And then it got to the point where I was the only one in the running. Um, and the director told me, I want you to play this role. And then um, we did a, a screen test. And then this, the studios uh, essentially decided that they wanted to go with someone else. So I was like, in my mind, I was like, the director had told me that, that I'd got the role. Um, you know, I was devastated. I, I, was, I wasn't, you know... I think I was, it was before Slaughterhouse. I must have been probably, um, I don't know, maybe 12, 13. Um, and I was age. just like, yeah, I mean, but I think I'm glad that it, I, I'm, I am glad that it happened 
Um, because it did just from that point, I just sort of realized like, like sometimes it's not going to go your way. And even if, even if you feel like it's all going right and you're almost guaranteed to get it, sometimes it just won't happen. And it's not really anything to do with you. Like, you know, that, if anything, taught me that the director who also wrote the film, he wanted me to be in that. So it's not like I did anything wrong. I think it was just, you know, sometimes it's to do with um, chemistry or sometimes to do it's to do with the sort of casting of your parent or your whatever. I think that that's, there, there are so many sort of things that play a part. So I think that, that that taught me very early on that rejection is, it's not great, but, you know, it's, it's nothing bad. And, you know, after that, I don't think I ever got that upset after I was rejected through, you know, a film or a show, because I, I also always think that, in fact, if I, if I hadn't have got that, I wouldn't have been able to do Slaughterhouse because it was actually filming during the same So I always think, you know, I did probably three or four films in that time that I would have been filming that, that film um, that I loved filming. I loved doing all of them. And I am so grateful that I was able to. Um, so I think that, you know, even if you are rejected for a certain job, I think that, you know, as one door shuts, another one, another one will open. And I think that that's, um, you know, one of the most refreshing bits of being an actor is that it's always changing. There's always something else around the corner. Yeah. yeah, it's a really, really good attitude to have. You know, just it's part of the part of the parcel, isn't it? You just exactly. take it on the chin, take it in your stride, and onwards and upwards onto the mm. next tape, and give that one hundred and ten percent. Exactly. I remember talking to somebody as well, and you'll know this better than anyone as well. You know, ninety nine percent of getting the job is what you look like. Ultimately, yeah, they know absolutely. that everyone, everyone who's clearly with an agency, I would like to think, can act, and so. <laughs> It's ultimately then the director will watch you on screen and go, yeah, I see it. That's perfect. Mm. Or they're a big name or something, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's, it's, it's a very, um, there are so many aspects to the casting process, but I think it's very much to do with how you look and whether or not you fit the role and whether or not you are, you know, just, if, if you're not right for it, if, if they can't see you selling that, that character, then it's not really, anything to do with how great of an actor you are, you know? Um, I think that that's, I think that there are some incredible actors um, who have probably missed out on several roles because they just aren't the right fit for the role. And I think that's, I mean, you hit the nail on the head there, to be honest, but it's, yeah, it's very much that. It's, it's very much to do with your sort of physical aspects. Mm, yeah, for sure. Now, you must have one. I've got to ask you, what would be your dream role? I mean, this is a difficult question. I mean, I suppose that there's always like, you know, I think every kid like dreams of being something like, you know, Spider-Man or James Bond or, you know, one of those kind of classic roles. I mean, I would honestly love to play a... I'd love to play a villain, to be honest. Mm. I'd really like I'd really like doing that. I think that those are always the most kind of exciting roles to play. Um, just because you can really sort of, you know, so the slightly more twisted characters, you can really just have fun with it and go a bit crazy and 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 do something really cool. Um 
yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if there's really like a dream, like specific character. Don't get me wrong. If there was a James Bond, if there was an opening for James Bond, I wouldn't be against it. But, <laughs> but yeah, I think that that I think t- like a t- sort of twisted bad guy would be quite cool. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. I, th- I think I think they've got a little bit more substance. Yeah. Um, what advice would you give then to a young actor? You know, I mean, I know you're so, you yourself are only 18, but I mean, you've got mm. more years of acting behind you than, you know, many, many in their 20s would dream to have. So mm. what, what is it that you would say to somebody who's an aspiring actor? I would say that, I mean, as we touched on, um, rejection is part and parcel with the job. So it's learning, do not get disheartened by it. Um, then I'd also say that, you know, don't be afraid to just sort of trust the process. Because although I am, although I am sort of 18, I did start, you know, when I was about seven or eight doing like commercials, for example. And I didn't sort of jump straight to, um, to the lead in the Netflix show. It was very much a, you know, I was doing Sainsbury's ads and then I suddenly got my first TV show and then I got my first film and then suddenly it's sort of, and then I got my, my agent who I have now and it's sort of slowly built up really over the years. Um, And I think that if you really just sort of trust the process and wait for that moment, because it is really all about the moment and then sort of riding that wave and getting the momentum off of that one moment. Um, and it can really be career changing. So I think trusting the process is probably my main, my main piece of advice. I've, I've taken it on board. Thank you, sir. <laughs> you do not need that, Louis Strong. I do, I do, I do, I do. Man, I, I'm getting fr- I'm frustrated at the moment with kind of auditions and that process mm. because, but ultimately, it's my my it's my fault to actually book the job. So I can't blame anyone else. But anyway, that's another that's another conversation. Uh, my final question, which I know I mm-hmm. asked you on the live, and you'll probably know what it is. Okay. I wonder, I, w- I wish I could find out what you said then and see if it resonates now. Hmm. So what does the word headstrong mean to you? I think for me, the word headstrong is always like, I mean, it, it's about like perseverance for me. So I think a lot of people will will say that being headstrong is sort of being quite, you know, um, quite sort of almost not stubborn, but sort of, you know, very strong in your opinions, very like strong in your morals. But I think, I think for me being headstrong is, is, I mean, similar to do with, you know, what we've spoken about several times in this, um, in this chat that we've had, it's very much sort of learning to deal with the hardships of life and of, you know, one's career. Um, and that, you know, is sort of things like rejection and things like, you know, um, bad reviews possibly. I think that, that being headstrong for me is just a certain mental toughness, which, um, isn't anything to do with, it's not like a sort of toxic toughness. It's more a sense of belief that things are going to be, as it says there, that things are going to be okay you know, um, and that it's going to be, you know, things will work out. I think that's, it's sort of a trusting, again, trusting the process. Very nicely put. Uh, For anyone who has failed to see the show, 
Heartstopper is on Netflix. Go check it out. Kit, I can only but thank you for your time. It was thank absolutely so wonderful. Much. And um, good luck in your A-levels. We need, we need, need to lock those in and then we can get and straight back out there. forget for about them completely. Hell yeah. Um, Can't wait. Oh man. Thank you so much, man. So glad we were able to do this. And that's it for episode 12 of season 7 and indeed season 7. A huge, huge thank you to Kit Connor for joining me on the podcast. Two and a half years in the making, but totally worth it. And I hope you agree as well. If you did enjoy it, please do go hit subscribe, leave a review and a rating. It would really, really mean a lot. Do go check out our Instagram at Headstrong Podcast. Give us a follow. Have a look at Kit's artwork on there as well. And keep in touch for season eight. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.